Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, uh, your host. Uh, happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. Uh, the weekend is almost here. Uh, I'm headed to Kansas City for a very special event. Uh, looking forward to that. So uh, I'm going to have a great weekend. I hope you do as well. Uh, this is a special uh, edition of uh, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We're going to bring in our regular uh, fearless soldier, Royce White. Uh, he ran uh, for political office in the 5th Congressional District of uh, Minnesota uh, for the Republic in the Republican primary. He finished second to a woman, I believe, Cicely Davis. Uh, Ilhan Omar uh, won on the Democratic side in a very uh, narrow victory, but I, I want to talk with Royce about his first foray into the political arena, what he learned from it, what he'll take from it, and what's next. Uh, there was a hit piece put out on Royce uh, by the magazine Mother Jones two or three days before uh, Election Day, or maybe it was late last week, I can't remember. Uh, and I wanted to talk with Royce about that because even though Royce uh, did not win the Republican primary, I think the number of hit pieces I saw on Royce White lets me know he's a dangerous man to the establishment. Uh, if he was not dangerous, they wouldn't be having these hit pieces published about him. And so I don't think we've heard the last of Royce White in the political sphere. Uh, the Democrats and the establishment and the Republican establishment can see that Royce represents something uh, potentially dangerous and that's why these hit pieces have been written and so uh, Royce White uh, welcome back to the show and I just want to take some time and learn from you what you learned and and then I want to talk a little bit about this piece and 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 what's next for Royce White so uh, first off, uh, how was it? What did you learn uh, running for the uh, 5th Congressional seat in Minnesota? Well, first of all, there's a lot of components that go into running a campaign that <clears throat> you just couldn't know without running a campaign. It's just like any other profession or, or any other endeavor. So I learned a great deal just about personnel, about the different aspects of of a campaign, whether it be ground game, whether it be advertising, whether it be billboards and so on and so forth. Um, from, from a bigger cultural standpoint, I guess, um, we, we in Minnesota are exactly where I believed we were, uh, where I had a, a hunch we were, but I definitely wanted to test it out. I definitely wanted to see for myself and, and, and jump in regardless. And, you know, I, I was defeated yesterday by the Uniparty and, and that's just the, the God's honest truth. The Uniparty um, prevailed, and it's it's a failure of <clears throat> urgency from the American people, especially the conservative movement. You know, I look at the the vote results and totals, <clears throat> and you had a uh, hundred thousand Democrat voters turn out in CD five, and, and only ten thousand in in our Republican primary. Um, so so that's alarming. Uh, to begin with, especially given the circumstance of our country right now. Um, but, but you know, set aside the, the 1,500 votes that kind of came out of the blue to this, this uh, phantom candidate, Guy Gaskin, who nobody had ever heard of before tomorrow, who actually ended up 
getting 15 percent of the vote, 1500, which, you know, would have would have given me uh, a win had I gotten a, a substantial chunk of those votes. Uh, I lost by a 500 vote swing. Um, but th- that aside, you know, I know personally from being in the district that there are at least 500 to 1,000, let's say, primary Republican voters that are Democrat light and, and are pro-abortion. And I could have easily gone door to door and smiled in their face and affirmed baby killing. And maybe I would have gotten another 500 votes. Um, but, but that's just not my style. And, and I'm not willing to do that. And I think what I learned most is, is that the people who are going to try and step up into the political arena have to make a very, very tough decision about uh, upholding the morals and values uh, in their pursuit of success. You, you hit on initially one of the things I wanted to ask you about is what to make of the fact that 100,000 people turned out on the Democratic side and only 10,000. Is, is that an indication that the Republicans just feel like the Democrats are unbeatable in that district? And so why bother? I'm not sure. I mean, I think I think it, yes and no. I mean, look, the, the, when Ilhan won in 2020, she the, the general election, she won with 200,000 plus votes. Her opponent, Lacey Johnson, got around 100,000 or 120,000 votes. So there's a huge vote uh, split anyway, uh, differential anyway, between Democrats and Republicans in CD5. But but my concern is that the urgency that people display about the political landscape in our country, uh, whether it be in, in, in chat groups or whether it be on message boards or on Twitter or, and, or Fox News or whatever the case may be, uh, you would think that, that Republicans everywhere, regardless of what they believe the outcome will be, will, will come out and show their, their, uh, their desire to change this country and, and to elect people who they believe can change this country. Uh, and that didn't happen here in CD5. And, and the, the God's honest truth, it's not an indictment of Minnesota as a whole. I started with a CD5 because CD5 is the heart of the, the state. Um, the outstate support is, is much more, um, is, is much, has a much bigger Republican demographic. But I would say from the Wardlow, our attorney general primary on the Republican side uh, gives me just as much concern. Uh, the, 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 the Republican establishment uh, railroaded America first candidates in Minnesota. Uh, and, and as I said many times before, the Republican establishment is the outer bastion of, of defense for, for the entire NWO agenda. Well, one of the things I thought, and maybe you can acknowledge this or tell me I'm wrong, uh, was when you got involved with the race, the whole idea was that so you could get in the ring with Elon Omar, and that once you were in the ring with her and it became a one-on-one fight, it would give you a chance to not only bloody her up, but uh, enhance your brand and make you a more viable voice throughout the entire state of Minnesota, regardless of what happened in the general election. And instead, perhaps they're gonna send this Cicely Davis, I believe, who won into that ring with Elon Omar, and it, it won't be the kind of fight that you would have waged. Yes, I mean, she's completely controlled opposition. Uh, she, you know, she is, 
she is an example of what the Republican establishment has done across this country uh, to concede territory to the Democrats and allow Democrat candidates to avoid very tough general election uh, opponents. Uh, you know, Cicely Davis stood right up before the CD5 convention where she won an endorsement with a similar percentage split. It was like 54 to 46 or something like that. And and she stood right up before the entire 100, 100 plus uh, delegate crowd and said abortion, God, the church of LGBTQ, the Fed, globalism are all red meat, red meat talking points for the base. And that in order to go into these Democrat strongholds, we need to become more Democrat like or, or we need to be able to speak to Democrats. But she didn't say speak the truth. And, and that's the real crisis of leadership around around the country and around the world, but, but specifically around the country, especially as it pertains to politicians. Politi- politics in America have become this retail business of telling the people what they want to hear. And, and that is your average politician. What can I say to appeal to the biggest audience? Not how can I speak the truth and lead people to a better understanding and clarity uh, about what uh, for their individual lives and for the lives of their community and us as a nation? Cicely Davis is. And he, here's the real kicker. This is this is what I mean by the, you know, I, the three card Monty, the double cross and triple cross. The same money that's back in um, Ilhan Omar that got her involved in politics in the beginning is the same money that's behind Cicely Davis. It's the same money that's behind Nikki Haley on the Republican side. Right. And, and, you know, just just as a as a, you know, transparency. Yes. You know, a few a few Jewish elite businessmen in the community are responsible for putting money behind both uh, candidates, both sides. And, and it's a very strategic move on their behalf. And the people have not gotten wise to it, partly because they can't even most people can't even say the word Jewish without crawling into a corner and, you know, fear of being called an anti-Semite. I happen to be one who can, which is why when I stood up before that same congressional uh, delegate process and said the word globalism and I called out the Star Tribune for insinuating that globalism is by default anti-Semitic. Uh, I kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall uh, for for my support from the Republican establishment. Um, So, you know, the the American people have had the wool pulled over their eyes with this election process. And I don't say that to discourage people from getting involved. I want people to become more involved. If you are upset with the way the Democrats have run this country, if you are upset with the way the Republicans have fought back, you need to join your local BPOU and become a precinct committeeman and make sure that the Republican uh, the Republican Party is not is not um, held captive by by globalists and Satanists. So you, you didn't win. What's next? What what do, do you are are you, you know, you're telling voters not to be discouraged are you, obviously you're not discouraged what what's plan B or what's the next plan A you know th- this me getting involved is is not a, it's not about me it was never about me and I don't think it should be about any politicians that get involved this is the referendum on the American people I tried to provide an option for the people here in CD5 to select somebody that believed in America and believed in having a country. Um, you know, we, we, did a, we did a fairly decent job. I mean, we got a pretty big chunk of votes, which means that the America First message and the America First brand and agenda and spirit is on the rise. We came up a bit short. I mean, 500 votes is, is nothing, um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So I'm certainly not discouraged. Um, and, you know, 
for me, next, we're, we're going to ask to audit these votes. I mean, we want to know who this guy Gaskin character is who came in and got 1,500 votes out of thin blue air, uh, you know, and, and, and figure out, make sure that the, the integrity of this election was, was on the up and up. Uh, we're, not, we're not just going to pass Elaborate up. on that. Elaborate on the guy Gaskin's deal because I, I read your tweets and I want to make sure I fully understood them. This is someone that, because again, I did look at the Democratic side and basically only two people got votes on the Democratic side. The person that came in third got 0.6% of the vote. And it does right. seem odd that the third person in your race got 15% of the vote. But, but was, he, was he out campaigning? Was there any money behind him? Did anybody know no. who he was? Elaborate on that. No. Well, we, we looked into it and he filed on the last day, uh, whoever this person is filed on the last day. And, and there, there isn't a person who I've talked to over the last 12 hours that could find uh, a profile, uh, a campaign website, a trace of this guy on the Internet anywhere. Um, nobody knew who he was before yesterday, and we still don't have a clue who he is. Um, there certainly wasn't any trail or, or trace of him in the lead up to this this primary. So it, it's very strange that somebody who has absolutely no name recognition whatsoever uh, could get 15 percent of the vote in, in, in this primary. It is very strange to us. And, and many people around the country are calling in uh, asking for us to 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 ask to to audit this these these votes and figure out what happened. So you've certainly said, mentioned the Uniparty and you talk transparently about uh, the Jewish financial interest in the two Cicely Davis, yeah. Elon Omar. What, what, if I'm putting it all together, what would justify the fear of Royce White that perhaps they would run some third person in here to take to swing this vote why why do you frighten them that much well, well I because think it's very and, and let me add this let me add this because it would be very hard for any democrat to beat ilan omar in that district and so it seems to me from a distance hey Royce is a Republican running against Il He's harmless because even if he won the primary, he can't beat Ilan Omar, so who cares? And so I I'm just, how can you just winning the Republican side be that frightening to the establishment? Well, what they're afraid of is a, forced, a, 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 a forcing of the clash of ideas. That's the great anti-competitive spirit that's taking grip in, in American politics. And this is how the Uniparty has been able to uh, scam the American people is the, the political arena is supposed to be a, a, an arena and, and a clash of ideas, uh, an unbiased class of, of, of ideas. And, and they've been able to make sure that a person like Ilhan wouldn't have to put her ideas and her track record up against somebody who will actually call out the true corruption in it. Right. You talk about low regulation and taxes, you know, this CC Davis, she's going to come in and talk about inflation and inflation is a problem, but she won't talk about the Fed. In fact, when I spoke about the Fed, which is actually uh, a duty of the United States Congress to regulate and balance the Fed, she she threw the red flag right away. Right. So it's, it's not that, you know, it, it's a subtle 
It's a subtle support and encouragement and promotion of the candidates that will not talk about the most important issues. Um, and especially when you get into an election year like this that's coming before a very, very important 2024 presidential election cycle, um, a, a clash between Ilhan and myself would have had global attention. And, and, and they're still trying to keep me off of the spotlight from, from my days in the, in the NBA. Uh, and, and I forced my way into the political arena and, and, and if I had gotten through this primary, Ilhan was going to be in the fight of her life from an intellectual standpoint. And they knew that. And it's not about, and it's not so much about could I beat Ilhan this time? The question is, who can crack, who can crack the mold that will allow for blacks to not be used as the calling card to vote Democrat in blind faith? That's what the question is. And it is a very serious question. And there aren't there. There aren't a plethora of, of individuals who can speak truth to the communities that you and I come from well enough to really change their hearts and minds. Now, you can get your black Republicans that get up there and talk low regulation and low taxes and, and, and you know, <clears throat> we need more police or, or whatever the talking points are. But I'm, I'm talking about the corruption that lies in the belly of the beast, that, that lies in the foundations where black people can really go, well, wow. How is it that I'm talking about justice, but I get all my products from a country that doesn't even believe in the word, right, in China or, you know, all the Fed or, or the Church of LGBTQ or whatever these, you know, these cultural issues, you know, politics is downstream from culture. And, and, and I definitely talk issues on a cultural level. And what really makes you dangerous, and I, I'm, you know this, is like you're still connected to what is perceived as black culture, uh, your participation in the big three. Again, it's not you, any number of things, but it's not like you're running away. It's not like, hey, if Royce got invited to the Essence Festival, he wouldn't go. No, Royce would go and have a good time. And if given a microphone, he might say something to those people that might screw up the narrative that the left has in place. And so, again, that's what makes you dangerous and the possibility of you reaching people in a way, because again, I'm not trying to take a dump on this person, but again, Candace Owens can't reach black people. And, and I don't say that to be negative towards her, but she doesn't have any connection uh, to black culture and, and black people at this point, so she can't reach them. And what I'll give the left credit for is, they know you can, and that and tying everything we've been talking about together, that's why the mainstream media and their writing platforms and broadcasting platforms have come at you so strongly. And, and, and it's why I believe this Mother Jones piece uh, that came out was, to me, it's a very subtle, slick, vicious attack. They, they I would assume this writer, Iman, and again, I'm stereotyping because of his name. He said he grew up playing basketball. I'm assuming this is a black dude. Am I right? Oh, no. The dude, author of this story? No, he's white. I know Iman personally. Oh. I know this oh, writer okay. personally. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. And so, well, that, that, again, this is an inside, this is someone who knows you personally, that they got to write a I thought a pretty brutal takedown and, and just a criticism of, of like, how dare Royce White intellectually in evolve? 
we gave him a set of talking points at birth that as a black man he has to stick to uh, and he's he's strained from those talking points. How dare he? That's how the piece read to me. Well, I mean, if, if you just scroll down, I don't know if we can do it. But this first th this first paragraph here, these first two paragraphs were so interesting. There's there's three takeaways from this entire article. One is, and this this is a, a tenet of the the Democrats and the left right now. The first is they assume that their position and the political tides of our country or our culture, our society, are the stable position. But we can, we can demonstrate how that's not the case. All of the positions today of the left are not the positions of even 20 years ago, where they talk about being anti-war, anti-big corporation, uh, anti-Wall uh, Street. All of their positions have virtually shifted. Um, in, in, in recent memory. So they, they stake themselves out as being the stable, unmoving uh, ground in the political tides. Secondly, they try and lay out an incoherence in my positions from the beginning while they actually draw the coherency. Uh, and, and that ties into the third and, and final takeaway that I had from this article that um, they don't believe that one could actually make a a genuine transition of, of thought, of, of moral clarity, because they don't believe in repentance. They don't believe in conversion. They don't believe in God. So to them, you, you have to stake out a position and you have to stay with that position, whether or not the morality syncs up, whether or not it's proved or disproved across time. And that's how you've seen the liberals become very zealot-like in their immorality, in their, in their, uh, and their, their lack of ethics and, and morals and, and continuity of, of thoughts and ideas. And they just lay it out in the, if, you know, if you scroll it, it, to the paragraph where it says, this is tinfoil hat populism, right? There's a, there's a uh, I think it might be even more. Is that, it's, is it's, that it's, the first words in a paragraph or? Go, go to the very beginning, I think it is. No, I can find it, I can find it. I, I just got a top. His current politics could be described as tinfoil hat populism. He believes that the Democrats, Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, President Xi Jinping, the CCP, non-MAGA Republicans, George Soros, millennial purple-haired white liberal women, the Church of LGBTQ, the National Basketball Association, and various government agencies all act on behalf of the same global corporate community and yeah so i mean don't sound like facts to me <laughs> the, the question i have is how how they presented that as being tinfoil not only did they just say you know we don't agree with the tenants of some of these individual players that he's listed and being in collaboration they went straight to saying the whole premise is tinfoil hat like is there not a connection between xi jinping the NBA, the Church of LGBTQ, the Democrats, George Soros. I mean, what what are they really trying? What they're doing is they're telling the American people, we think you're dumb. We think that you believe in our ability to propagandize information so well that all we have to do is tell you that this black man is now following a white supremacist and you won't even read the rest of the article, let alone dive into the, the claims that he's made. It's 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 a mockery. They're making a mockery of the American people. And what's happened is they've been successful 
and the mockery is, is of American citizenship. And it's a dangerous time because just after that paragraph, they go on to say the Federal Reserve is where, because that day where, where he, this journalist followed me, um, we held a rally outside of the Federal Reserve. It was on uh, Good Friday, uh, which also happened to be tax day this past year. And, uh, you know, we played uh, Fulton Sheen's Good Friday Mass outside of the Fed. And, and he said, uh, you know, in the article, he goes, you know, the Fed's $30 trillion of accrued national debt uh, hurting the American citizens or your everyday average American citizens is, is hawkery. It's deficit hawkery, right? These types of, of blatant journalistic uh, uh, misinf- misinformations uh, should, should infuriate the American people. They should infuriate the American people, but they don't. And they don't infuriate the Mother Jones readership. Do you think the Mother Jones readership is, is, your, is your average single black mother with three kids or your average black family or your average Latino family? You think they're reading Mother Jones? No. Mother Jones is for yuppie, white, liberal, purple hair, LGBTQ activists. Okay, and and what they've done is they've created a constraint of media power where they send the signals down from Mother Jones to the rest of mainstream media. And your single black mother who may have a Snapchat or Twitter may get the headline from Mother Jones. And now that becomes her tacit belief about the people that she's she's reading about or being informed about. And it's a very, very sophisticated system of 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 misleading the American people and creating uh, a manufactured consent. I'm not asking this because I disagree with the decision. I just want to know, though. You say you were friends with this particular writer or someone you knew. Uh, it says that I don't believe you consented to an interview for this story. Why did you not? Well, I wouldn't call him a friend. This person used to work for a local magazine here when it was starting up uh, here in town. It was you know, about seven years back. I granted him an interview because uh, he was a local kid and and uh, he, he expressed interest in talking about mental health, which has now been also weaponized by by the liberal left and the mainstream establishment as this kind of full social justice issue. Um, so so, you know, I've known him because he did a story on me before. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that we're friends in any regard, but but I didn't I didn't do the interview because I know what Mother Jones's game is. I mean, I, I know I know what they're and what what more could I have said? What he laid out there for me in the first paragraph is I couldn't have said it any better myself. You know, I, th- I think that he laid out an, an incredible clear picture of, of the message that I'm trying to bring to the American people. And I will continue to bring to the American people. And there's nothing that Mother Jones or CNN or, or Merrick Garland or Joe Biden could do about it other than kill me. I mean, but they're kind of they're kind of a little weak. You know, their backbone's a little brittle to pull a move like that. These people aren't really gangsters, you know? And that's part of the other reason why they fear me is because I'm a, I'm a little street to have the, the motivation I do towards moral, moral clarity and, and genuineness and, and a, a, a reconfiguration toward God and Jesus Christ. And they really don't like that because black people most of all maybe have, have fallen away from the, the spiritual, the true spiritual position that we should have in society. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're afraid on multiple fronts, but first and foremost, it's cause I say the things that these people won't say. Royce, let me take care of a little business. And then when, after I take care of this business, I want to ask you, your grandfather, Frank White is quoted in this story 
and I want to get your reaction to what he had to say. But let me take care of a little business first. Bank on yourself. Uh, do you really control your retirement money? If you've got a 401k or IRA or similar retirement plan, the government controls it. They decide how much you can borrow and when you must pay it back. You will also owe taxes and penalties for taking money out too soon, even though it's your money. Thanks to our skyrocketing national debt, who knows how much you'll have to pay in taxes during your retirement that could last 30 years. Thankfully, Bank on Yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are locked in. You have control of your money without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Perhaps the best reason of all, you'll get peace of mind because you'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash fearless. That's bankonyourself.com slash fearless. Be self-sufficient. All right, uh, let's circle back uh, to Royce White. Royce, uh, I want, they, they, they quote Frank White in here. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this, and then I want to get your reaction. Give me a second here as I read this. I turned to someone who has known Royce his entire life to get a better sense of him. Frank White, Royce's grandfather, is an elder statesman in the Minnesota sporting scene. He coordinates a program to revive baseball in the inner city. Uh, what a, and, as, and as a historian of black sports in the state, he's currently working on his second book. This, this one is about athletes from the Ron, uh, Rondo neighborhood, a historically black area of St. Paul that, like many historically black neighborhoods, was upended and displaced by the construction of the national highway system. Uh, Royce lived with Frank from eighth grade until his senior year of high school. During that stretch of time, this is a quote from Frank, during that stretch of time, I was dad and grandpa at the same time and went to all of his games, Frank told me. I'm proud of my grandson, but do I agree with his politics? No. Uh, he told me, hey, grandpa, I'm going to be on Steve Bannon's podcast. I said, do you know who, Steve Bannon, who that Steve Bannon man is? Uh, when I called Frank for a follow-up recently, Steve Bannon had just been found guilty of contempt of Congress. Frank said he'd spoken to Royce and told him, your guy Steve Bannon is probably going to go to jail. Uh, what about the fact Royce was championing the stolen 2020 election myth and Capitol riot and attempted coup on January 6th? Uh, Frank White says, there's no way I can support my grandson supporting the GOP and, in essence, Trump. This is a guy who wants to be a dictator. Think about what that means. You're a person of color. Do you think you fit in his plans? And uh, I got some reactions to that, but I'll hold my tongue and uh, let, anyway, have you talked to your grandfather since this came out and, and what's your reaction to what he had to say? Well, you, you, you know me, you, you, you know I called and cussed him out. And with, with as much due respect as I could have, um, because I do love my grandfather. And, and as as ugly and as much of a, uh, a ridiculous comment or set of comments those were, 
Uh, my grandfather is an example of a black man that always um, encouraged me to finish what I start, to work hard, to stay away from drugs and alcohol, to take my school serious. So in many ways, many of his characteristics are responsible for me being where I am today. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, but what does that really matter in this time? It is what it is. It, it, it's the credit that he's due for the role that he played, but it doesn't change the fundamental circumstance of this country or individuals in it or families or communities or our place in the world. None of that is, is changed by your actions. I guess as an athlete, I kind of get that because you don't get points for yesterday's game. In today's game, if you show up to the gym and you're an asshole, you're just an asshole. It doesn't matter if you scored 50 yesterday. Um, and my, my grandfather is, is plagued by something that many black men from the boomer generation are plagued with. They believe in the ever expansion of government as a security of their freedoms and rights. That's, that's the fundamental ethos of what he's saying there, that President Trump doesn't like us as black men. There's no place for us in his America. All of it is predicated on one idea. They're afraid. They're afraid, which is why they haven't revolted to this day, which is why they could look at the January 6th protesters with a side eye, but have never once thought about actually taking their citizenship serious enough to march on any establishment that holds power to bring their grievances. Their way is to negotiate based on history with the Church of LGBTQ, which used to be the, 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 the neoliberals and neocons, for some grant some grant uh, expansion and budget, right? To, to give us, and really, and really here's what it is. It's really a nonprofit grift. And my grandfather knows that. See, my grandfather's been around the nonprofit business enough himself, whether it be recreation at the park board level, whatever the case may be, to know that the loans and the grants that are given down from the federal government over the last 40 to 60 years were entirely distributed to, to, garnered the allegiance of black communities with the federal government and the Democrat Party. He knows that all too well. And he knows I know it. And, and so, you know, when I called him and talked to him, I said, uh, after 60 years of voting Democrat, what has it gotten you? It's the same question that Ice Cube asked. What's in it for us to vote Democrat? I'm not telling anybody they should vote Republican in blind faith. In fact, my time on this show has been mainly to criticize how the Republicans have been controlled opposition. And even more, I'm further right than Steve Bannon is. He thinks Steve Bannon is the conspiracy theorist. He thinks Steve Bannon is the extremist. I'm 10 degrees further right than Steve Bannon is. Because in, in my concept of this whole thing, um, Steve Bannon wants to win the political process. And I, and I told him when me and Ben and I first got connected that I would participate in us winning the political process because I believe that democracy is the best way for us to change this country and move it in the right direction. But if I'm being honest, we're 25 to 30 years beyond a revolution. We are 25 to 30 years beyond a point where we should have revolted. When they took us off the gold standard, when they made us a permanent welfare state, when they opened up China's The Great New Horizon, when they bailed out AIG and all of the Wall Street hedge funds, when they sent our troops, our young people, to Iraq for a war that was nothing more than, than global economic imperialism, we should have revolted as the American people, but we were getting high. 
we were getting fat. Now, my grandfather doesn't smoke weed, but he does drink wine and he does drink it often. And I'm not disparaging him for that. But what I'm saying is when you drink wine every day and you read uh, the New York Times or you watch CNN for headlines and you get these poorly formulated constructs of the world today, you can't talk to somebody who reads all day long about what's going on in the world from here to Beijing. I, I read the Global Times. I read the Federal Register. I read the House resolutions that they send down to give the military, to give the military in this country the ability to prosecute American citizens or go after American citizens without congressional oversight. I'm watching when Nancy Pelosi goes into Taiwan and comes back a week later after criticism and says, China's one of the freest societies in the world. I'm equipped to lead. My grandfather is a relic of a time that put black people in the position we're in today, as well intended as he may be. The reason I chuckled when you started on this explanation is because you made me think, you were explaining things on a macro level and you made me think of something very micro in, in terms of, of, of this fear that's controlling your grandfather and other black men. And, and I say this, it, it made me chuckle, and I don't want to be disparaging. If your grandfather's watching, I'm not trying to attack him. But there is a mentality among black people and black men that is very similar. If you go back to the 1850s, 1860s, there were black people that were afraid of the end of slavery. How am I going to take care of myself? You know, I, you know I, it may, the grass may not be greener. And it's not that they wanted a continuation of slavery, but they were afraid to do for themselves and the responsibility of doing for themselves. And look, I got a job, I got some place to sleep, and yeah, this mass is good. And that's what I think about when I, when I think of black people so addicted to the Democratic Party and they have this just fear like, oh my God, Donald Trump, when he throws a party, he don't serve Hennessy and he don't play rap music and so he don't like us and I'm not gonna like his party and the Democrats, not only do they serve Hennessy, they serve weed and they play rap music and I like socializing with them and they're my friends and it doesn't matter that every policy that they prescribe for us further emasculates the black man. And so that's yeah. when you started talking about we're long past the revolt. This why I will say specifically to your grandfather, as a black man who sounds like he's just five, six, seven years older than me, we should have revolted from the Democratic Party when they started passing all of these rules to empower the black woman so that she doesn't need us, want us, depend on us. They completely emasculated us and we should be irate about it. That the black woman is the matriarch and the king of our culture and leading us. And as a black man, you should be looking like, wow, their policies cut my balls off and as soon as I get my hands on a knife, I'm cutting theirs off. <laughs> that, that's the mentality we should, but fear. Here, here's the Barry Lee, you're, you'll like this one. Uh, my grandfather's father, Lewis White, who is 
another revered sports figure from our Rondo community. And I come from the Rondo community. So when you talk about like black black communities nationwide, the Rondo community was is one of those historic black communities that was affluent and 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 moving in the right direction. And the, the freeway system did uproot Rondo and displace people. And that was from a, a much different time period. Um, so so when you say I'm connected to black culture, it, it couldn't be more true. Like I come from real black roots, black neighborhood roots and not ghetto black, but but affluent and, and people that are proud of their blackness, but but carry it in a in a in a in a in a in a decent manner. Intellectual. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so my grandfather's father, Lewis White, still holds the batting average for mechanic arts, a high school that's now closed. He batted like 730 or something his senior year. It's still the record in St. Paul uh, baseball high school. Um, he, he voted Republican. And that's what I reminded my grandfather of when I called him on the phone. I said, you've been spending too much time around these yuppie white liberals and you've forgotten your roots. Don't talk to me about being black because our grandfather, who was the actual patriarch of our family, my grandfather had a special role in my life. But as far as our entire family goes, my grandfather, Lewis White, was the patriarch. He was the house that we went to on Christmas Eve to sing Christmas carols and open gifts and exchange gifts and have meals. He was that 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 example of a black patriarch in our community. He was a Republican. And he spoke openly about the degradation of the black community that spawned right outside his front door from these very Democrat policies that you're speaking of that he saw that I grew up seeing with objective eyes because I, I have no I have no skin in the game with Democrats. And, and here's another issue that I have today. An example of what you're saying is exactly why I led the protest after George Floyd. It wasn't to affirm Black Lives Matter. It wasn't to affirm the LGBTQ movement or Antifa. It was to challenge them. And the 90,000 re registered Republican voters in CD5 that sit over their tea in the morning and donuts or whatever other fat gluttonous food that they're eating, okay, they sat in their homes when the community was burning down. They were afraid. They were scared of Antifa. I'm not scared of no purple haired white liberal women. So I went out there and guess what I made them do? Bow your head and pray at the Federal Reserve. And if you're not gonna pray, you're gonna hold a moment of silence out of respect because when a black man, a real black man's up here standing, you know that it could go to a place that you don't really want it to go. See, they've used this epithet of fear against moderate, afraid conservatives. And that's the real tectonic cultural shift that I represent. There's a conservative movement coming. There's a black conservative movement coming that is not afraid, that, that has sacred honor, that has morals and ethics that we are willing to live by and die for. That's what the people of January 6th represented. Now, were their efforts somewhat misguided? I could agree to that. I could see the mental illness and some of the people who were displayed in this documentary about January 6th and, and how crazy some individuals are, of course. But here's my question to the people watching that want to criticize January 6th. What set of circumstances could you theorize in your mind that would have you prepared to hostilely revolt against the federal government? If there's not a set of circumstances, you're not uh, uh, a social justice warrior. You're not peaceful. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good American. You're a cuck. You're a coward. 
And that's what the American citizenship has been watered down to. And the problem with it is not only the spiritual implication, but the fact that we face two countries on the world stage that don't have the same problem. The Russian people understand the Russian identity. They understand the importance of the Russian sovereignty. The Chinese people understand the Chinese identity. They understand the sovereignty of China. And and soon we will be at war with two countries that are proud of their heritage, that are proud of their culture, that, that are proud to move their culture forward in the world. And we are being led by white liberal people who are so nihilistic and self-loathing, they would, they, would, they would voluntarily become slaves to the CCP. They would voluntarily give over all their sovereignty and individual rights to a super state. That's why I led those people to George Floyd. It wasn't to affirm them. It was to contest them. And all the Republicans who didn't come out to vote in this primary because he was involved with BLM and I could never support somebody who was born. Where were you? Where were you with your Bible? Were you, were you rebuking and refuting in the name of Jesus Christ? No, you sat at your table, you watched Tucker or Glenn or, 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 or Sean Hannity or, or, uh, uh, or uh, what's my girl's name? You pick one. Pick one. You watch them and you made yourself feel like you were actually going against the establishment. But it's a false catharsis. The real going against the establishment is going to happen in the streets. And that's why they're afraid of me. And that's why they're afraid of Steve Bannon. Finally, I want you to let's spend a couple of seconds talking about Donald Trump. because your, your grandfather mentioned him, his his home. Mar-a-Lago, raided by the FBI, searched by the FBI, I don't care which word people choose or whatever, but uh, it seems unprecedented. It seems like uh, another line in the sand. I just, we we didn't have you on uh, earlier in the week when this happened to talk about it. I I do wanna know your thoughts about what do you think about the FBI uh, searching, raiding the home of a former president? Game on. It's game on now. I mean, they've just dispensed with all of the, you know, with all of the workarounds and all of the underhand moves and 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 all of the the misdirections. They're going, they're, they're going for it. The communists are going for it right now, and there 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 is such a profound level of materialism that's taken hold of our of our everyday life here in America that we don't even realize it. We think this is common course. Now, there are a lot of Republicans who are crying out and saying, you know, this isn't right. But to what level to what is it enough for you? Is it enough for you to come out and vote in a primary? Hopefully it's enough for you to come out and vote in a general. Hopefully some of these uh, uh, independents or 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 libertarians who who straddle the fence uh, see the, the, the direness of the situation. The intelligence community, the security state. The administrative state, the deep state are the biggest enemies to the American people, to American citizens. It's not Donald Trump. My grandfather couldn't tell me who the administrative state is if I sat down with pictures, a picture book and circled the faces. Right. And so there is a gap between good meaning and well-intended people and communities all across the country and the information they need to understand who their enemies truly are. And, And when you say the security state, I mean, Donald Trump right now is getting a, a wake-up call that I hope most conservatives understand. This is what happens when you expand a police state. This is what happens when you expand a military-industrial complex. These, these are the remnants of our 2001 decision to let the security state run off 
with power unchecked in the name of fear and a war on terror. This is how the global affects the local. Now the FBI and the, 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 the DOJ and the CIA probably and, and whatever other uh, intelligence communities have been weaponized against an American. The, the NSA, yeah, the, the, the DOD, now they're weaponized against an American president. Who's there to, who's there to protect them? The people? The citizens? Half of them would love Donald Trump's head up on a pike. And even if I disagreed with Donald Trump on most issues, which I don't, I agree with him on most issues and we disagree on a few, I would still never allow the state to run amok over his rights as an American citizen because of my own personal understanding and pride in American citizenship. And we've lost that. So, yeah, tyranny is running afoot all over American citizens right now. Royce, thank you. Great job. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right, I hear tomorrow. That means, uh, no, we'll see you uh, next week. I'm gonna be in Kansas City tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all receiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want. 